0: Hi, and welcome back to the Wild EM podcast, where our goal is bringing you better care out there. Now, to start today's show, I have a few questions for you. If you believe not all studies have valid results, or if you believe the results from said studies may not apply to the patients you are treating, or if you believe half the recommended dose of acetazolamide is enough to prevent AMS in hopes of still being able to enjoy your favorite carbonated beverage at high altitude, then you need to stay tuned for another episode of the Wild EM Journal Club. Today, on the podcast, we are looking at the recently published Radical Trial. An often overlooked element of evidence-based medicine is the ultimate correlation between how cool a study title sounds and how good the research in said studies are. And in this regard, the radical trial does not disappoint. So let's frame today's discussion. You're planning a trip to altitude. Unfortunately, with the Rona going on, you're not going very far. But lucky for you, your own backyard is filled with 4,000 meter peaks waiting to be climbed. The objective is set. You're packing your gear and food, getting ready for your alpine start when you wonder if you should be worried about altitude sickness and what medications could help prevent symptoms from appearing. Enter the RADICAL trial, Reduced Acetazolamide Dosing in Countering Altitude Illness, published by Dr. McIntosh and all in 2019. The authors introduced their study by stating that many different doses of acetazolamide from 750mg to 250mg daily have been shown effective in preventing AMS. With this in mind, they wondered if even lower doses could achieve the same results. The physiological explanation for using this drug is that, and I quote, During ascent to high altitude, ventilation is stimulated by lower oxygen partial pressure as a result of stimulation of the hypoxia-sensitive peripheral chemoreceptors. This response is limited by the fall in arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide and development of respiratory alkalosis. The mild metabolic acidosis produced by acetazolamide allows for an increase in this ventilatory response, thereby speeding up acclimatization. End quote. Now, with this in mind, let's move on to the study and let's have a look at the PICO. Population. The authors include adult patients over 18 years of age with no history of medical conditions, including kidney disease, liver disease, glaucoma, to name a few. But go check out the article for a full description of the exclusions. Furthermore, they excluded anyone allergic to acetazolamide, obviously, or sulfa drugs, as well as anyone taking any medications known to prevent AMS. They do note some patients in the study were taking ibuprofen, as studies showing a possible beneficial effect of ibuprofen on AMS were published after their study was initiated. Intervention. Acetazolamide, 62.5 mg oral twice daily. Control. Acetazolamide, 125 milligrams, oral twice daily. Outcome. The primary outcome was the incidence of AMS. This was determined as reported by patients' questionnaires that they would complete twice daily. And with no further ado, on to the results. There was no significant difference in the rates of AMS between the two groups. 55% of the patients in the reduced dose group compared to 60% in the higher dose group had AMS. So the results of this study show that a lower dose is just as good to prevent AMS. But let's dig a little bit deeper. Now, first off, this study was a randomized control trial. The medications were formulated and randomized in Utah, so the participants were blinded to their treatment group. But not all the intended participants were included in this study. The authors recruited patients in Alaska and Nepal, but ultimately chose only to include the patients from Nepal in their analysis. They justified their decision, stating that the technical exertion and ascent patterns between these two groups would interject bias. From what I understand from reading the article, it seems that they decided to drop the Alaska patients' data after the data collection phase. I could not find the data from these patients in their article, but it would be interesting to know if including that data would ultimately change the study's conclusions. The recruitment for this study was done by posting flyers online and having research assistants approach trekking groups in Nepal. Now, in a perfect world, it would be interesting to know just how many potential patients could have been recruited for the study. The fact that the study population was to some degree self-volunteering may introduce some selection bias into the results. Another way to put this is we could hypothesize that only new or less prepared climbers would be willing to participate in this blinded study but experienced climbers who very well knew that they didn't need AMS prophylaxis, or maybe even experienced climbers who knew that they always need 250 milligram dose to prevent AMS, likely would have declined to participate. Now, I did say that this isn't a perfect world because performing such a study would be nearly impossible in this context, and I must say I think the authors did a great job. Now, this study was a non-inferiority study. We've talked about this in episode 5, so do check that out if you haven't already. The non-inferiority margin was set at 20%, meaning a 20% difference in the incidence of AMS between the groups would still conclude both treatments to be, quote-unquote, the same. I applaud the authors for stating themselves in their conclusions that, quote the 20% non inferiority threshold margin in the setting of an unknown rate of AMS would have led to treatments having a statistically significant lack of difference between them and an erroneous conclusion that the reduced dose acetazolamide was non inferior to the standard dose acetazolamide. End quote. In other words, by setting the non inferiority margin at 20%, the incidence of AMS could have been reduced by, say, 10% by taking the 125 milligram twice-daily dose compared to the lower study dose, but the study conclusions would still be that both treatments are non-inferior, despite there being a number needed to treat of 10 to reduce the incidence of AMS with the higher dose, which is pretty significant in my mind. The authors did look at side effects, and there were no difference between the two groups. Now that being said, Studies will always underestimate the real occurrence of drug side effects because these studies are not powered to uncover any difference between the treatment arms. In addition, the authors go the extra mile to cite other studies that have demonstrated in the past an increase in side effects with higher doses of acetazolamide. For all these reasons, I still believe it is important to find the lowest efficacious dose for patients, which will likely lead to less side effects, although this was not demonstrated in this study's data. It is known that rate of ascent and altitude play a role in the development of AMS. But in this study, population in Nepal, both the average altitude gained and the rates of ascent were not statistically different between groups. Authors asked participants to note any medications that they were taking. But it is unclear if there are any differences in the use of analgesic medications that could mask a headache and therefore the diagnosis of AMS as per the Lake Louise score in this study. Now, use of NSAIDs was included in the study results, and there was no significant difference between the groups with NSAIDs use. This is especially important considering that further studies afterwards had shown that NSAIDs may have potential benefit in reducing the incidence of AMS, and therefore this is an important confounding factor. But that being said, there was no difference between the two groups with regards to NSAIDs use. Okay, so let's bring it home. The author's conclusions are, reduced dose acetazolamide at 62.5 mg twice daily was non-inferior to the current standard dose of 125 mg twice daily for the prevention of AMS. Further study is required with larger numbers of participants to confirm the efficacy of this dose for prophylaxis of AMS at these altitudes. Now, I agree with the author's conclusions here. Their results showed no difference in the rates of AMS between participants using the 125 mg twice-daily dose and the 62.5 mg twice-daily dose, but as we discussed, the wide non-inferiority margin, the exclusion of participants from Alaska, and the potential for selection bias in the recruitment of participants require further studies with larger numbers to confirm these results. Alright, that's it for this month on the Wild EM Podcast. Thanks for tuning in and remember to keep your AMS prophylaxis dose at 125 for now and your crampons in the ice.